0: Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Dear Saints, uh, this text for today, the Gospel lesson, John 20, there is uh, uh, far too much theology in that lesson for one sermon. And so today I can only focus on one small aspect of it. And it's this that why Jesus appeared to his disciples. What was the purpose of it? And I want to show you that the very reason and purpose and meaning of his death and resurrection is seen most clearly in that event, the gospel lesson, where Jesus appears to them and what he says. So to to understand this, you have to understand the context. And this is the context. About 10 days ago, this is in real time, about 10 days ago, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, uh, delivered into the hands of men. Jesus was arrested and they sentenced Jesus to death. And then all the disciples who said they wouldn't leave him, that they would never desert him or deny him, did exactly that, except for John. John was the only one that was there at the cross with him. But the rest fled to save their own life. Peter denied him three times, the others scattered and ran away. And from a distance, they saw Jesus struck. They saw him beaten and whipped, spit upon, uh, stripped naked, mocked, crucified up on a cross with criminals. And they abandoned the one who did nothing but love them. Now, three days later, some of them go to the tomb and they see that the tomb was guarded by soldiers, uh, that the tomb that was guarded by soldiers is now empty. And we heard that last week. And the Jews are now saying that Jesus' body was stolen. It wasn't, but this is the, the idea that they were trying to spread. And the first, sus, the first suspects of this stealing were the disciples. So the disciples, once again, they cower away in fear, and they all gathered into one house, into a room, and they locked the doors. And the Greek word there uh, for lock is not really lock, but Bar. They barred the doors shut. So they're not only closed, but they're locked and they're barred so that nobody can go in or out. <clears throat> That's how afraid they were of what was going to happen. Now, if I were in that room with them, I certainly wouldn't want to see the Jews. But more than that, there's someone I'd like to see even less than them. And that is Jesus himself. I would not want to see Jesus that week after his crucifixion. And the question is, why? Uh, I'll put it this way. Have you ever done something bad to somebody or talked behind their back or something and then, got, and then you got caught? Or you sinned against someone and then they knew about it. They figured it out. Uh, and they find out what you did. Well, who is the last person you want to see? That person that you sinned against, that knows what you did to them. Well, you multiply that by a thousand and Jesus is the guy who they betrayed, they denied and they lied to. That's the guy they left hanging on the cross. They watched him brutally beaten and killed. And now you tell me uh, if that is the one you want to see come back from the dead and stand in your midst. So while they're talking about these things, Jesus in his flesh and blood, through the doors, through the barred and locked closed doors, he appears in their midst in his flesh and blood. And he stands among them. Now, again, if I were Jesus, the first thing out of my mouth probably would have been something like, where were you guys? Uh, Why did you leave me? I was... You could have helped me. You guys could have stepped up and, and, and helped me out at any moment. You could have covered my shame. You guys could have tried to convince the people uh, what was going on. After all I showed you, everything I did for you, all of the miracles you saw and, I, and, and the things that I taught you, you denied even knowing me. And that's what we'd all expect for Jesus to say. Because he has every right to say that. And every right to throw our sins and guilt back in our face. And yet, the first words out of his mouth, when he appears to them, he says, Peace, peace be yours. In other words, I know what you did, but I am not angry. And I am not out to get you. I'm not here for that. I'm not here to accuse you or throw your sins in your face. I'm here to give you peace in your heart, in your conscience. Everything you did, I know about. And yet everything you did, I forgave it. Everything you're guilty of, I've wiped away and covered with my holy blood. That was the purpose of what I did. That's the purpose of me being betrayed and rejected and destroyed on the cross. Was so that you would have peace. And he gives them the peace of sin forgiven. And we know it's, that's what he means when he says, uh, peace be with you, peace be yours. We know he's talking about forgiveness because just a few verses later, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. That's the point, what he's talking about. This peace is forgiveness. That the entire purpose of Jesus' bitter suffering and death can be summarized and summed up in one word, which is peace. No one would have known that. After seeing how violent and awful that cross was, no one would have known that it was for peace. Many people saw the events and they still had no peace. There were uh, soldiers whose hands, uh, whose fists touched the face of God, uh, but they had no peace. Because peace comes through hearing and hearing that word. Now, at Jesus' birth, this is what, what has been trying to... Uh, that the, 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 the host of heaven was trying to communicate the entire time. At Jesus' birth, what did the angels say? They said, glory be to God on high and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. That this child will bring peace. At his, before his crucifixion, the evening before, Jesus tells his disciples... Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And still the disciples locked themselves behind closed doors. And were trembling and afraid. And then Jesus comes and stands in their midst again after his death. In his resurrection. And he says, peace be yours. And then the next week. The very next week this happens and Jesus stands in their midst and says, peace be yours again. And this time Thomas was with them and he says, peace be yours again. And he says it again and again. And notice, notice that he doesn't say, look, I already told you uh, to have peace. I already told you that I forgave you. So isn't that enough? How many times do I have to tell you? Just believe me. So I'm not going to say it again. I already told you, get the message and move on. But he doesn't. He tells them over and over and over and over again, again and again and again. as many times as their hearts are troubled, he speaks peace. And I imagine that if they were there for a thousand more days, locked behind those closed doors, I think every single day Jesus would appear to them over and over again and tell them peace be yours, peace be yours, peace be yours. Have peace. I have forgiven you over and over again. Now, I want you to understand this well. This is where Lutherans get our insistence upon the repetition of the gospel. Why we say the creed every week. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. For, for our sake. For our salvation. He did this. This is where we get our constant and incessant preaching of the forgiveness of sins. Week after week. This is at the forefront. It is the chief thing. The cross is the, the main thing. It is the main thing in our hymns. It is the main thing in our preaching. It is the main thing in the teaching, in, in the service. It predom- it's the thing that shines brightest every service. This is what it is, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. <clears throat> A number of you who have come from other churches, other denominations have told me that they treated the forgiveness of sins. They talked about it as some historical marker. As something that happened in the past, but now we have moved on. So that, that is the, the, the cross, the gospel is what gets you into the church. But now that you're in the church, let's focus on bigger and better things. The gospel is in the rearview mirror. That's, that's, how, that's what you guys told me coming from these other churches. That the idea around is that we have to focus on something bigger or better. We have to implement something else to keep people engaged. Because the forgiveness of sins isn't going to keep them engaged. They're not going to show up week after week. They're, they're not going to care enough. They already know it. So why say it over again? But there is nothing better for us to consider week after week. There is nothing more important. And we get this from Jesus. Uh, And we get it from what he does and the way he speaks to his disciples. Now, about 500 years ago, Martin Luther saw the same problem in his day. And what they did is they tossed aside the catechism uh, and the chief proclamation of the catechism, which is the forgiveness of sins. And they just took it and then they threw it under their bed or in the closet. They put it in a drawer somewhere and they considered their catechism or confirmation uh, as Something you just finished, a textbook. And so they never went back to the Ten Commandments because I learned them. So why, why do I have to read them again? Uh, they never went back to the creed or said it at home. They never prayed the Lord's Prayer because we do this often enough. They never considered the sacraments. They never considered their baptism again. That's done and it's over with. So they all moved on. So Luther saw this and he saw that they wanted to move on to something else. And this is what Luther says in his large catechism, in the preface. It's, it's, a, it's a hefty quote here, but uh, pay attention. He wrote, <clears throat> What else are such proud, arrogant saints doing who are unwilling to read and study the Catechism daily. They think that they are much more learned than God himself with all his saints, angels, prophets, apostles, and all Christians. God himself is not ashamed to teach these things daily. He knows nothing better to teach. He always keeps teaching the same thing and does not take up anything new or different. All the saints... Know nothing better or different to learn and cannot finish learning this. Are we not the finest of all fellows to imagine that if we have read once or heard the catechism once, we know it all and have no further need to read and learn? Can we finish learning in one hour what God Himself cannot finish teaching? He is engaged in this teaching from the beginning to the end of the world. All prophets, together with all saints, have been busy learning it, have ever remained students, and must continue to be students. That's what Luther says. And Jesus speaks peace to his disciples. And he speaks peace to us. And the chief reason we get up this morning and drag our kids to church and get them ready and fill up our cars with overpriced gas to drive all these miles to church is to come here week after week and receive this peace that the world cannot give, that you cannot get anywhere else. It is to hear and receive the Lord's forgiveness over and over again. And the reason why God himself is present with us in this church, the the reason he makes, he comes to us in his body and his blood and stands in our midst in this way is to give us the peace of sin forgiven. It's not that it wasn't true last week or the week before that or in your infancy. It's not that it wasn't true 2000 years ago. That's not why the Lord repeats it. He repeats it to us because our hearts fail to fully believe it. We have our doubts, and we think that God will somehow deal with us the way the world deals with itself. That God is somehow one day going to dig up something embarrassing from our past, or that he will cancel us or go back on his word. And our hearts can't fully grasp or understand how the God that we've sinned against forgives us. That he has forgiven every sin that you committed this week. Even the sin of this morning. Even the sin that will come in the days to come. That the Lord considers you when he looks at you innocent, perfect, holy, and blameless through the blood of Christ. We don't understand how a God who knows everything chooses to forget our sins. He knows all of our thoughts, all of our words, our embarrassing sins, our regrets, our mistakes, all of our filthy desires. He knows them. And yet he does not turn his face away from us, but he looks upon us with favor and he lifts his countenance upon us and he gives us peace. We feel guilty far more than we feel peace. We feel sinful far more than we feel forgiven. And yet the Lord comes to us week after week to convince us. That our sin has already been dealt with. That it is indeed over with. And that we have peace with God. Now, usually when I say this, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to close. Usually when I say these things, I have people and I hear Christians complain and say, Well, if Jesus' forgiveness is so real, then why can't I feel it? Why do I still feel guilty? If Jesus truly forgives me, then why can't I see or feel it? And why don't I feel the peace that he gives? So I want to explain this, how this works by using an analogy. Uh, Some time ago, I hired a guy to help me at my home uh, with my lawn. Uh, His name is Robert. He's a really great guy. Uh, He does a great job. Well, one of the first times I met Robert, uh, we walked around the property and he told me all the things that he's going to do to help me uh, fix and restore the lawn because we had weeds and all these weird things growing there uh, and it was getting out of control. So uh, well, that week he got a tank of some special formula he had and then he sprayed the entire lawn uh, and a, few, a number of days came, uh, passed by and then he came back and the weeds were still there. And he came back the next uh, week and and I told him, uh, hey, Robert, uh, whatever was in that uh, canister didn't work (laughs) Um, because I still see a bunch of weeds here and it's not apparently it didn't work. So there's something. And also, I think there's some over there that you didn't get and some over there. So uh, what's going on? And he said to me, he goes, nope, I got it. I got them all last week says, don't worry, those weeds are dead. You just don't know it. I already got them. And then he explained to me that the weed killer that he had goes to the root of the weed and scorches the roots of it so that even though you can still see the weed on the surface beneath it, it was dead. And what he does is he kneels down and he says, look, I'll show you. And he, 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 uh, he waves his hand over one and it just falls over. It's completely dead. As if he cut it, as if he just uprooted it. Well, our sins are like those weeds. They look like they're alive and vibrant and taking control. They do seem now for a time to be strong and green and flourishing and sometimes more than others I know. And it is painful and it is frustrating to us. And yet, they're dead. They're still there and we can see them and they embarrass us in awful ways. But Christ is risen from the dead and he has overcome our sins. On the cross, he scorched Our sins, he demolished the root of them, the, the hold that they had on us. And what we see in our lives is just an empty form. What we see on the surface is sin on its dying last breath. Through his bitter suffering and death, through his precious and holy absolution, he already dealt with our sin. And he's telling you, they're dead. They have no claim over you. You just don't see it or feel it yet. But it is true. You are free. Whether you can tell it or not, Christ has already dealt with all of your sins, all of them. And dear saints, that is the the reality of Easter, the reality of the Christian life, that we live in a time when it seems like sin is still in control and getting the upper hand as if it's still living and thriving. But that is just how it seems. Because what Christ did on the cross is true. He looks at you and he loves you and he forgives you. And he's already dealt with all of your sins on his blessed cross. He has established his church to tell you this over and over again. To tell you that it has already been dealt with. You don't need to worry about what you see. Listen to what he says. And that is true. And this word will be preached and this peace will be preached into your hearts until that final day when you won't have to do it anymore. And on that day when he comes again, he'll stand in our midst once more before our eyes. Not to forgive our sins, but to remove them from us once and for all. To take away the empty form that remains. And on that day you will see what has been true all of these years. On that day, you will feel the peace that he won for you all those years ago that we have by faith. On that day, you will see that he indeed conquered sin long ago. And you won't have to believe in his forgiveness or peace. You will see it and feel it and experience it and realize that it was always true. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.